Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. It's a real pleasure to be here and be able to start this new series called um, Witness. And as Pastor Roger mentioned, um, this verse in Hebrews 12, which is really uh, central to what we are teaching about in the last, uh, next few weeks, and I want to read it again. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, so that is really a formative uh, verse for us as we are considering modern-day witnesses uh, that have encouraged us, inspired us as pastors, and, and for you too, I'm sure, believers um, and uh, people who are just trying to please Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, our mission statement at Generation is to be firm in the faith, to fulfill the call, and to finish well. And there are so many people, not just in the Bible, but in the last centuries, last decades, that have really embodied what it means to be firm in the faith, to fulfill the call, and to finish well. And uh, sometimes we see people who were firm in their faith for a while, but really didn't finish well. And that is sad. But it's kind of rare sometimes when we are able to find someone who's really been able to stay faithful all their lives. And, um, and today, that's what we want to uh, talk about. There's another verse I want to read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And this is Paul talking. He says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, I have arrived at a position where I've, uh, I've really strived so much to follow the example of Jesus that if you look at my life, you can be confident that you will see character traits of Jesus. And I think that we should be encouraged and we should be able to, at one point in our lives, tell people, look, just come and watch me. Watch me do it. Watch how I walk with Jesus and do the same thing. And it's not easy. I mean, uh, nobody's perfect. And even all the heroes of the faith that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, they were not perfect. I mean, by all means, I'm not saying we should uh, follow them like we follow Jesus and follow them like we follow God and worship them. No, at all. But we should really be inspired by the efforts that they've put into having a lifestyle that reflects a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning by also saying that you are not alone. You know, in Hebrews 12, verse 1, the verse that we read, where it says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, um, it, it, this verse comes right after Hebrews 11, which is dedicated to all the heroes of the faith, such as Abraham, Moses, um, the prophets, you know, Daniel and Samson and all these people who've had a tremendous impact in the biblical history. Um, and so the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, you are not alone in the race. You have a cloud of witnesses. And I think we can say the same thing about us today. We are not alone. Whatever you're going through today, whatever temptations you're facing, whatever um, hardship 
or um, hard circumstances that you're facing, you're not alone in this. There's been people before you who've faced the same struggles, but fought the good fight of faith and were able to conquer, were able to uh, overcome, and are an encouragement to us today. So let us cling to that thought that we are not alone in this community of faith. There's people cheering up for us. There's people who've gone before us who are in heaven, who are just cheering up, applauding, and just... uh, yeah, really giving us this uh, great example to follow. So today, I want to talk to you about someone who uh, is very dear to me. He uh, passed away four years ago. His name is Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson. Now, most people know Eugene Peterson uh, because he is the author of a modern-day translation, paraphrased, poetic version of a Bible called The Message Translation. How many of you have heard about the message translation? You may have read it on your phone. Um, and Eugene Peterson didn't write the message to compete with the NIV, the ESV, the King James Version. He wrote it as a pastoral expression, uh, a, a desire to make the Bible even a, a more easier to understand for the modern day reader. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But Eugene Peterson was born in 1932 in Washington State. Uh, His grandparents had immigrated from Scandinavia, and he spent a few years in Washington State, and then his dad was offered um, a position to um, start a meat industry business, and so they moved to Montana, where his dad was a butcher and uh, ran a few shops for a long time. Eugene's mother Uh, A stay-at-home mom was a a very zealous and passionate preacher of the gospel. She was a Pentecostal who was really fired up, and she used to gather a a bunch of working-class men every week to preach the gospel to them. And she was not afraid she was the only woman in the room, but she would preach to them. And Eugene was very impacted by that uh, passion that his mom had. But Eugene was also very influenced by the steadiness, humility, simplicity that his dad had with his uh, uh, butcher shop. And it's very interesting to see how they balanced each other in the way they were raising Eugene Peterson. So he had a pretty peaceful childhood, and uh, early on we could sense that he had already a a very deep quest for God, for more of God, for knowing more of Jesus. He had already a love for books, And that led him to go to Seattle Pacific University in 1950 when he was 18 years old. He was known to be very athletic and friendly, easy to get along with, but he also had a a leadership um, inclination and he would really uh, start to be a leader right then. Uh, We read in one of his biographies that I'm going to quote very often during that message. Um, That biography is called A Burning in My Bones. And this is what it says about um, Eugene. Eugene began to think hard about what it means to be a leader. But the most telling fact, I believe, was his remarkable commitment to learn the name of every student on campus, all 800 of them. Decades later, Eugene offered his conviction that a church was healthiest if it could maintain a manageable size. He suggested that this manageable size might be, as a rule of thumb, no larger 
than about the size of his college, the size where a pastor, or at least a pastor with a memory as sharp as his, could still memorize everyone's name. However, he remembered the student body as only 500. That was pretty good. But we can see from early on that he was really passionate about being personal and knowing the name of people he was interacting with uh, because he wanted to be involved in their lives and was deeply caring. So right after his Bachelor of Art at Seattle Pacific University, he decided he wanted to become a pastor. And all he had known so far was the Assemblies of God movement. So he reached out to one minister from that denomination and asked him, hey, are you looking for any new pastor? Is there any position available? How can I be of any help? And so the minister told him, look, I don't think we're really looking for any pastor to, um, uh, to fill up a role that's already existing in the church, but we're trying to start a church in Townsend, which is in Montana. So go for it if you feel like it. So in all his simplicity and just very genuine desire to be involved, he went for it, and this is how it went. And let me read it again. Uh, in a biography. He'd been in Townsend only a matter of hours, but with a job and a home, he supposed it was time to find his congregation. So he walked door to door through the entire town, introducing himself at each house. Hello, I'm Eugene Peterson. I've been asked to come here to start an Assemblies of God church. Can I talk to you about it? The doors closed, both literally and metaphorically. House after house, not a single person agreed to a conversation. The Mormons and the Methodists had the town locked down tight. Eugene ran the gauntlet of slammed doors. Finishing, Eugene stopped at the edge of town, discouraged. He had no more doors to knock on. Baffled, he just kept walking down to the Missouri River. He watched the sunset and pondered, what am I supposed to do? In the twilight, he trudged back to dinner where he took a booth and eyed the greasy menu. After a hamburger and a slice of apple pie, he returned to his basement and rolled out his sleeping bag. The next morning, he tossed his gear into his car and drove out of town. Eugene had been a pastor for 18 hours. He was pretty discouraged by that experience and realized maybe I should go to seminary to get trained. So in 1954, he goes to New York um, to seminary and studies um, theology, but also ancient languages, archaeology. And he interned at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, where he was a basketball coach for the city's league. Then he found a part-time job at West Park's uh, Presbyterian Church, leading the youth professional ministry. And that's really when he started de developing a heart for pastoral ministry and a heart for people, where he was taking an interest in all the students he was meeting. In 1957, he interned at John Hopkins University, where he was uh, under a very eminent professor of biblical archaeology. And that's really when he started to go way deeper in learning Hebrew and Greek and learning the science of translation of uh, uh, biblical text. In 1958, he married Jan, um, his wife, and uh, they were married for 60 years. After finishing his seminary st studies, he moved to Maryland to start a new congregation. That church grew slowly and steady, um, and in 1965, they had a new construction built, and Eugene Peterson was the pastor of that church for almost 30 years. He had many ups and downs, but he remained faithful. And it's only in the mid-70s, 
that he started writing books hoping uh, to have them published. It wasn't wasn't very easy for him, and he had a really uh, rough start. To give you an example, his fourth book was rejected by 23 publishing houses before it made it to the shelves. And during his pastoral life, he developed also a a real passion to make the biblical text easy to understand and to comprehend by his congregation. To give you um, just a real life story from uh, Eugene, he was trying to teach um, a group of people from his uh, church uh, through the book of Galatians, and he was really having a hard time getting his point across. So he thought to himself, how can I use my skills to make sure that the people I'm teaching, I'm preaching to, can understand the text? And that's when he started taking Galatians and the Psalms and translated them into a, a paraphrased version, a poetic version, a very easy-to-understand version so that his people could get it. And that's exactly what happened, and he was so encouraged by it that he kept going in a secret, translating a few passages of scriptures in a paraphrased version. And so uh, word got out that he was working uh, in a secret on these kind of translations on Psalms and Galatians, and finally, in 1990, he received an invitation from Nav Press to translate the New Testament. He accepted and went to work. And once the New Testament was completed in 1993, so three years later, he then mapped out uh, a plan to translate the Old Testament in 10 years. 10 years, that's what he intended. He completed his work seven years later in June 2001. And two years after the message translation was published, he had already sold 7 million copies. And after uh, uh, his pastoral ministry and work and his publishing career, he retired in his parents' home in Montana, where he died at the age of 86. During the last years of his life, he basically uh, made his um, life all about love, simplicity, writing, and hospitality. One year, uh, Eugene and his wife counted that they had hosted 152 guests in their home. Now, one of the most remarkable events of his last decade on earth was his friendship with the lead singer of the band U2, Bono. You may have heard of him. When we think of a scholar, someone who knows Hebrew he knows Greek, um, and I'm not talking about modern-day Greek. I'm like ancient Greek. I know I took two years of Greek, and I barely remember anything of it. But it is hard work. Uh, when we think of a scholar who is able to spend so many hours working on a text, digging into scriptures, and really getting the text out and, and made it, making it alive for people, we think of someone who is kind of a hermit or would just be really drawn back and, and very introverted. But Eugene was the exact opposite. He was a pastor first and foremost, and his desire to translate the message was not because he wanted to be successful or he wanted to be heard or he wanted a really cool book project. It's all because he wanted the Bible to be easy to read and understand, and it was based on his pastoral experience with people. I want to finish just by quoting another um, passage from a biography when I talk to you about who is Eugene Peterson. This is what was said about him by one scholarly volume. 
They said this, Eugene Peterson may be the most influential theological writer in the church today. Numerous institutions extended honorary doctorate degrees to him. Regent College endowed the Eugene and Jan Peterson Chair in Theology and the Arts. And of course, his stunning publishing career. During his life, Eugene sold roughly 22 million copies of 38 books translated into languages around the globe, even in French. And actually, the first time I heard about Eugene Pearson, I was in France. I was a young pastor, newly ordained, and I was starting pastoring this new uh, church. It was a new church plant, and I had no idea how to be a pastor. And now you have to understand, culturally speaking, that um, in the world today, in churches, there's a a kind of a tension happening where a lot of uh, pastors in Europe are trying to do church the way Americans do church. That might be surprising, right? Because Christian has been around in Europe for way longer. But uh, we look at, um, at churches from the Europe perspective and we think, oh man, there's so many mega churches in America, so many successful leaders and pastors. And how can I be successful? Because everybody wants to be successful. Uh, and so as a young pastor, I was looking up at, at America. And I, again, like nothing wrong about America. God bless America. I love America. But I was looking at America and, and thinking to myself as a young pastor, how can I be successful? I don't want my church to be a small church. I don't want to write all my news report to my sponsors telling them, hey, only one person got saved this year. I just really had the pressure to succeed. But while I was starting this season of a pastoral ministry, I stumbled upon two books from Eugene Peterson. One was called The Contemplative Pastor, and the second one was called um, Working the Angles. In both of his, of his books, Eugene was really stressing the point that for pastors, they have to run away from the pressure to succeed and be successful at church, treating the church like it was a business. And when I read those lines in his books, it really comforted me in my initial calling that I felt from God to be a shepherd and to be a shepherd after God, uh, God's heart. And so I, I clung to these words like precious uh, jewels and precious stones that I didn't want to let go of. And I was like in the midst of this chaos of Christianity sometimes where we hear so many voices encouraging us to do church this way or this way. And, and I, I was like, I'm going to be faithful to the text. I'm going to be faithful to prayer. I'm going to be faithful to spiritual formation because these were the conviction of Eugene Peterson that a pastor is supposed to be someone who is there to listen, to walk the journey alongside people. And it was so comforting, so uh, refreshing for me to uh, read those words. And I know that during the eight years I was a pastor in Marseille, I went back to these books multiple times every year to uh, help me stay on track with the, with the conviction that were mine. And, um, you know, the church is, is really a family, and we should tr- treat church as a family. Of course, we need uh, organization. Of course, we need uh, certain programs, and we need all these ministries. They are really important. But the moment we stop uh, treating church as a family, we get into the danger zone. And, and I think there's great dangers for the church today. Uh, where is it, where in America, or wherever you are in America, or in Europe, we have a danger. And Eugene really was a kind of a prophet that addressed that problem uh, where he, um, he wanted to be a pastor according to the scriptures. I want to read, uh, again, another extract from the biography uh, that I 
base myself for this message, and it's uh, uh, on page 189. And this is what uh, Eugene was saying to his congregation and to uh, his board of elders after he almost reached burnout. And uh, let me just read it to you. He says this, I want to be a pastor who prays. I want to be reflective and responsive and relaxed in the presence of God so that I can be reflective and responsive and relaxed in your presence. I can't do that on the run. It takes a lot of time. I started out doing that with you, but now I feel too crowded. I want to be a pastor who reads and studies. This culture in which we live squeezes all the God sense out of us. Anybody can relate to that, how the culture squeezes the God sense out of us? I want to be observant and informed enough to help this congregation understand what we are up against. The temptations of the devil to get us thinking we can all be our own gods. This is subtle stuff. It demands some detachment and perspective. I can't do this by just trying harder. I want to be a pastor who has the time to be with you in leisurely, unhurried conversation so that I can understand and be a companion with you as you grow in Christ. Your doubts and your difficulties, your desires and your delights. I can't do that when I'm running scared. I want to be a pastor who leads you in worship, a pastor who brings you before God in receptive obedience, a pastor who preaches sermons that make scripture accessible and present and alive. A pastor who is able to give you a language and imagination that restores in you a sense of dignity as a Christian in your homes and workplaces and gets rid of these debilitating images of being a mere layperson. I want to have a time to read a story to Karen. I want to be an unbusy pastor. Now, who was Karen? Karen was Eugene's daughter. He had three kids, um, and uh, Eric, Leif, and Karen. And Karen, his daughter, one night asked Eugene, Dad, can you please read me a story? She must have been, I think, seven or eight, year old, uh, eight years old. And uh, Eugene answered her, Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I wish I could. I really want to. But I have a meeting at church I have to attend. And Karen had been counting. And she told um, her dad, Dad, it is the 27th time in a row that you've declined my request to have a story being read to me. He was so busy being a pastor that he neglected being a pastor at home. And that event really shook him big time. And that's when he declared, like, I want to I be a different pastor. I need to be an un, unhurried pastor who is paying attention to God, who is paying attention, attention to people, and first and foremost to my family, to my little Karen, to my wife, my kids. So yes, Eugene was really speaking my language, especially as a dad, as a husband. I really felt like he related to me in ways that no one had before. I had, you know, I had peers, I had, uh, you know, young pastors around me who, who were saying, "Hey, uh, have you heard about this new mega church pastor who is doing this and doing that?" And it was hard because, in a, in a way, you know, you want to encourage that. You know, I mean, we need to be inspired, and yeah, we need to really think about new ways to do church. But in other ways, we're called to be faithful to the scripture, to the text, and called to be faithful to uh, what God is asking of us. You know, everybody has a different calling. And so I was just really always kind of pulled from one side to the other. But then I felt like, Eugene, man, you're speaking my language. I want to be that kind of pastor who is unhurried, who can really, you know, pray and listen to God's voice, listen to the scriptures. And, and pay attention to what God is doing in people's lives too. 
Um, so there's a challenge for us, and I want to uh, really leave a challenge for you guys. How can we live a life of humility? You know, for me, one thing that really stood out of Eugene's life is his life of humility. He published so many books, and he had so much attention um, because of the message translation and his friendship with Bono. But instead of using that attention as a platform or as leverage to get more success and uh, more publishing uh, opportunities, he drew back. He ran away from the spotlight. He went to Montana in a quiet place by the lake where he retired, and he said, you know what, for the last uh, 20 years of my life, I just want to love on my wife. I want to love on my kids. I want to be faithful to God. I want to host people in my home, listen to their stories. What a powerful example of humility. You know, our modern world has brought a lot of good things with innovations, and, but it has brought a lot, a lot of challenges for us. And we need to be able to address them and also embody the change. And I think Eugene was able to embody the change. He was really radical in some ways. Like he never had an email account until the last few years of his life. Maybe the last, I think, five years of his life. But he always wrote letters. People would write letters to him. You want an appointment with him? You would just write a letter. I remember one of the pastors from New Life Church in Colorado. Uh, I don't remember his name. Probably, I'm sure that uh, Pastor Brian Austin knows him. But he, um, after uh, some really uh, hard things that uh, New Life Church went through in Colorado Springs, he wrote to Eugene Peterson a letter saying, hey, I'm really going through some stuff right now. Can I meet with you? And Eugene Peterson wrote back to him a letter saying, sure, come on, come on in. And he went and spent a few days with him and was so uh, encouraged and felt like really healing flowing through all this conversation with Eugene Peterson. How cool is that? I mean, it's, you hear about so many people who are known but never take the time to even write letters or even answer such a request to be uh, encouraged and ministered to. And Eugene was that kind of person who would take the time to re- respond to people's needs. Um, I think sometimes we're so afraid to be different, yet this is exactly what we are called to be. You know, um, I respect Eugene for the fact that he wanted to live a holy life. He even wrote in one of his journals, I want to become a saint. Now, that's kind of a weird idea that may be pretentious maybe for our ears, but it was actually the opposite. He really wanted to be in the secret. He wanted to be behind the scene. He wanted to listen to God and wanted to develop holiness in a way that demanded him to make really clear lifestyle decisions. For example, he never had a television. Yes, he never. He didn't want to write email. He didn't want to, to- touch all these technology items because he knew the potential dangers for his soul. So he wanted to protect his soul and his uh, heart more than anything else. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to quit uh, answering emails and you should you know, ditch all that tomorrow. I don't think your boss would be very happy about it, so please don't do it. But it just means that sometimes... Uh, if no one is radical about being different, then when? When are we going to be different? When are we going to embody the change? When are we going to pay attention to God? You know, um, like taking a real day off and, and just really uh, listening to God's spirit. I want to be that kind of person who is not afraid to make radical steps to protect my, my life, my personal relationship with God, my relationship with my wife and my kids. I want to be that kind of person. But that requires a life of humility, accepting not to be noticed, accepting not to have so much attention uh, on us. Eugene strived to succeed at home first, behind the scenes. Like uh, this one instance where he was 
uh, invited to be a speaker at a big conference, and let me read you what he wrote in his uh, journal. I have a deep sense that I have something to do that is better and deeper than what he is doing and saying. I'm very aware, maybe too much, of his prominence in my obscurity, and that what I do has to take place in the obscurity, working in the darkness of the minds. I affirmed this in a slight way last evening when I turned down the invitation to go to a faculty member's home to meet a prominent speaker and visit in favor of going out for nachos and beer with Eric and Leif. These were his children. They are the raw material of my life and I need to contemplate and be with and love and understand and respond to. And prayer. This morning in my room, instead of rushing to the library and stuffing myself with ideas and informations, relationship with his boys and prayer for that day, this was where he needed to put his attention, the real call for Eugene Peterson. So I want to challenge you with this question. What are you looking for in your Christian life? A God that blesses you with a successful life? Do you enjoy being noticed? Are you the same at home as you are in public? Are you considering death with God the most important thing to pursue in your life? Do you feel sometimes superficial in your relationship with God or others? Humility is not something you can practice by just adopting a new verbiage or certain key magical words. It is by really being completely broken before God and allowing Him to do what only He can do by His Spirit. It's about accepting to be you and not pretending to be someone else. And Eugene was really good at that. When I think of uh, Eugene Peterson, I kind of think of John the Baptist, you know, who didn't pretend to be the Messiah. Uh, he lived in the desert and ate locusts and honey, but he was a prophet that make, made this, the, the path straight for the Lord to come. And I think we need more people like that who are making the path straight for people to encounter Jesus. But that requires to be that voice in the desert. You know, the desert... It's not a place where there's a lot of crowd. It's a place where no one is going to notice you. No one is going to see what you do at home when you cook for your kids, when you change diapers, when you pray in a secret while you're doing dishes, when you are answering that person, that texto that kind of is hard to answer. All these things that sometimes are unnoticed, the desert, that's what really matters. And, you, and I'm just really inspired by that life. He was calling the Christians, the ministers, to run away from the culture of consumerism, to recapture that ancient faith of stillness, quietness before God. Uh, we're going to watch a little clip that uh, ex uh, illustrates the relationship that he had with Bono, that lead singer. But before I do so, I just want to read uh, and finish um, with his uh, journal entry where he prays as he's translating the message. Dear God, I want to be a writer to your glory. I want to shape sentences and words out of my soul, not just my mind. Fresh, alive, prayerful sentences. So the message is true. I offer myself as a servant to this text and accept the ascetic appropriate to it. Please, dear Lord, help me to be moderate and submissive to your yoke and serve you in marriage. And Jan, this way, Notice that as he's working on the message, trying to complete this huge work, he's concerned about Jan, his wife. He wants to be not just a servant of a text, he wants to be a servant to his wife. That's a 
powerful example of faith and humility. Now let's watch the clip and we'll close up after. I have to say, in the last years, Eugene's writing has kept me as sane as, as this is, if you call it sane, which you probably won't. Uh, Run with the Horses. That's a powerful manual for me. And it includes a lot of incendiary ideas. You know, I, I hadn't really thought of of Jeremiah as a performance artist. Why do we need art? Why do we need the lyric poetry of the Psalms? Why do we need art? Because the only way we can approach God is, if we're honest, through metaphor, through symbol. So art becomes essential, not decorative. I learned about art. I learned about the prophets. Uh, I learned about Jeremiah with that book, and that really changed me. And then, uh, several years later, this was about four years ago, four or five years ago, Bonnie would like me to come to Dallas, to uh, my Jan and me, to come to Dallas and for a concert. We saw him, we went to the concert. He was very um, sensitive to us. He was, we were really well cared for, had really good seats. And uh, I'd never seen a mash pit before. That was my introduction to the mash pit. <laughs> Is it a pit? It's a mosh pit. Mosh pit. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can see how uneducated I am in this world. And we had a, it was a three-hour lunch. And uh, we just had a lovely conversation. Uh, it was just very personal, relational. He didn't put me on any kind of a, pedestal and I didn't him, so we were very natural with each other. But I was just, uh, through that three-hour conversation, I was just really taken by the simplicity of his life, of, his, of who he was, who he is, and uh, there was no um, pretension to him. And uh, so I, at that point, I just, you know, felt like it was, he was a companion in the faith. best ones and he, he sings a lot I mean he does this a lot it's one of the psalms that reaches into the hurt and disappointment and uh, difficulty of being a human being and uh, acknowledges that in, in a language that is immediately uh, recognizable you know there's something that reaches into the heart of a person and the stuff we all feel many of us don't talk about.
I waited and waited and waited for God. At last, he looked, finally he listened. And he lifted me out of the ditch. He pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure that I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song. We're at Eugene and Jan Peterson's home. Bono is coming here, flying here from Vancouver, in order to meet, be together, connect as friends, but also have a conversation about the Psalms in order to share this common love for the Psalm and bear witness to others of the beauty and power of the Psalms. Cookies are just about good. It's so good to have you here. Great to see you. Oh, God bless you. Oh, God's blessed you, that's for sure. <laughs> Look where you live. <laughs> this is quite a spot. You know, I just realized, never been to Montana. Haven't you really? So many gifts already, <laughs> just, just, just since being here. And welcome to the Flathead. That's what I always like to say to people when they come. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up as we're closing this. It is so touching to see um, this kind of life, and I hope you are inspired by this. I also want to say, just for the record, that um, I encourage everyone to read any kind of translation. I don't think that a person should only read the message. I think that you should read whatever translation you're comfortable with, but it's always good to... I have a, um, a basic translation you can go to and get the right meaning. And I use personally the message translation as a way to bring a little more uh, like poetic aspect into my daily reading. I use a more literal or dynamic equivalent translation, but I like the message for some highlights on certain passages. But whatever you're comfortable with, but I just want to make sure for the record, I'm like not saying, you guys should only read the message translation. It is, it is a good translation, but that's not the only one out there. I want to read a passage from the ESV uh, in Matthew 11. And uh, it's a verse 28, and it says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I want to read it from the message translation, of course, and I want to encourage you to close your eyes where you are right now, and specifically as I'm talking to you in maybe some discouragements or heavy burden that you feel like you're having right now in your life. 
And I want to encourage you to, to let the, the, the word of God, the scripture, just uh, penetrate your heart, penetrate who you are, um, and ask God to use those words to really shape something new in your life. Maybe you feel really dry this morning. Maybe you feel like you've been away from God. Maybe you've never really been close to Jesus. And you're like, I feel like Jesus is calling me this morning. Well, this is your moment where you can say yes to him and you can start afresh. But as we close our eyes and really open our hearts to receive from his word, let's just, let's just hear what the Spirit wants to teach us. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the enforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you learn to live freely and lightly. This is the Jesus who is calling us. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that your calling is such a, a beautiful and good calling, not to be more burdened, but more so to lay down at your feet everything that's um, a burden to us. Jesus, we love you. I pray and ask that in these moments you would touch our hearts, you would help us to stop think, meditate, and embrace what you have in store for us. Thank you for modern heroes of the faith who've really been an example to us. Help us to be an example to others as well as we try to um, really listen to your voice and love you every day of our lives. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.